This is a podcast of the Church at Indian Lake. Today, I can even see some of you out there, and uh, beautiful location, beautiful church, beautiful sense of God, and uh, so I, yeah, I'll probably be the first and only person you'll ever hear from Ireland that's lived there 30 years with Oklahoma accent. When we arrived there in 1980, the biggest thing from America that was in Ireland that time was that soap opera Dallas. How many remember Dallas? Well, that dates some of you. I'm sorry about that. And I remember sp- uh, speaking in this meeting afterwards, and somebody walked up to me and said, uh, do you know J.R. Ewing? And I said, uh, afraid, uh, thankfully I don't. I uh, said, uh, is it true that all Americans have swimming pools in their back garden? We call it yard here, but they call it garden there. And I said, well, at least my family did, because we had a creek that ran right through our back uh, yard. So we had a swimming pool there that flowed in and out. But uh, uh, the Lord opened the door. I was in one place, and this young lady said, uh, you don't have an accent for uh, Dublin, but you've got one from Cork. And I couldn't wait to get down to Cork. Cork's at the bottom of the country there, and I got down there, and I realized they talked even funnier than I did. But regardless of that, the Lord uh, called us there. You know, uh, I want to talk to you this morning about three principles that have governed my life. First of all, nothing of eternal value will ever be accomplished apart from prayer. The difference between greatness and mediocrity is vision, and you don't quit in the face of adversity. Now, chances are I may never get to all three of them, but at least we'll give it a shot. Look with us in the book of uh, Matthew, the 16th chapter, and verse uh, 13. In fact, we'll just read uh, one verse there, Matthew, the 16th chapter, and verse 18. You can hold her hand while you're sitting beside her, but kind of stop at that, okay? Uh, Matthew 16 and 13. The great confession of Jesus. Jesus asked, Who do men say that I am? Said, Some say you're Jeremiah's. Some say that you are uh, Elijah, or uh, you're John the Baptist come back from the dead. Some say you're Elijah. And Jesus asked this question, whom do you say that I am? Everybody has to answer that question sometime in their life. Who do you say that I am? And, and Peter, I love Peter because, you know, Peter got it wrong more than he got it right, much like me and most of you. Amen? And, and uh, so, but, but Peter just had a, a nugget, just like a blind squirrel can find an acorn every once in a while. He just found this great nugget from the Lord, and he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus, he was so impressed with himself that Jesus said, said to him, Blessed are you. But he said, Flesh and blood doesn't reveal this to you, but my Father that is in heaven. If we receive a revelation of Jesus Christ, it all may be a part of what happens in church and what happens in our lives, but at the end of the day, it is a revelation that comes from God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. At 19 years old, I was sitting in a biology class, and the, the professor opened the book, Dr. Reeves. He opened the biology book, and the unit we were studying was on the theory of evolution. And, and uh, I was sitting in the back of this class, about 75 students, just kind of position myself where I could nod off to sleep when I needed to without professor noticing. And, and he said, now I'm going to tell you what the book says, but the book says the book is wrong. And when he said that, I was annoyed. I just paid 10 bucks for this book, 
and he told me this book was wrong. He said, now we'll, we'll tell you what the book says, but I will also tell you this. He said, I have studied a lot. I went to the Washita and the Washita Mountains, and there he said, I have found species of fish that no one even knew existed before. And he said, I will tell you this, they learn to adapt, but they never evolve. Call him what you will. The man upstairs, Jehovah, whatever, I tell you, one day in time, someone, a supreme being, I call him God. He said, I don't know what to really call myself, but for want of a better term, I call myself a backslidden Baptist. But he said, I tell you, somewhere in eternity, God the Father called this world into existence. And sitting in the back of that class, just like Peter, I had a revelation of Jesus Christ. And I knew from that moment I was responsible for my moral behavior. I knew that I had to respond to what God was beginning to put in my heart. My best friend came, came to the Lord and was filled with the Holy Spirit. We always partied on Friday and Saturday night. But I called him right after that. I said, where are we going Friday night? He said, I don't know about you, but I'm going to the youth meeting. I said, the youth meeting, that's all that ever comes to the meetings we go to is young people. He said, yeah, but this is in church. I said, you're going to church on Friday night? I said, my goodness, what's happened to you? He said, I have found Jesus. I said, good. I didn't know he was lost. But anyway, I said, good for you. I said, fine. I said, Saturday night, how about going out? He said, Saturday night, we pray for the Sunday morning service. I was absolutely gobsmacked as we say in Ireland, that this young man's life was so dramatically changed. But you see, God had given me a revelation, just like He had given a revelation to Peter here, and I suddenly realized there was a God in heaven that cared about a young boy at 19 years old called Gary Davidson. And Jesus said this, I say to you that you're Peter, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or the gates of hell, shall not overpower it. The message says it like this, this is the rock on which I will put together my church, a church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. I like that, don't you? A church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. Some people say to us today, we need to be careful when we build the church. Well, I tell you, for years I had a vision and a burden to see a men's rehab center, a teen challenge center raised up in the nation of Ireland. Don't quit on your dreams. How many of God has given a dream, put a dream in your heart and it's not yet coming to fruition? Let me see your hand. How many has God given, that's right, raise your hands, that God has put a dream in your heart. God bless you. Don't quit on your dreams. 38 years ago, pastoring or church planning our first church in the state of Colorado, God put a dream in my heart to raise up a rehab center for Teen Challenge. I didn't even know that Teen Challenge existed at the time. I just knew a place to disciple young men that were coming off drugs and substance abuse. I believed in that dream. I didn't just simply focus on that, but God dropped that into my heart. And I will tell you this, last year, exactly what I had printed out 38 years ago, even the diagram I made, God gave us this magnificent property in the Wicklow Mountains, just about 30 minutes from my house, and the name of the place is Tiglin Teen Challenge Center, and the address is the Devil's Glen. 
Come on, friends. Somebody said to me, let's change the address. I said, no. That's where I want to build the church in the Devil's Glen. Let me build a church not near Sound of Chapel Bell, but let me raise up a rescue shop just a yard from the gates of hell. Jesus said, I'm going to raise up a church. I'm going to use you to raise up a church. He said, I'm going to give you the keys. The keys mean they're people in prison. And we need to take the keys put them into the prison door, turn the door, the, the, the locked door, and watch them walk out into life eternal. But it only happens when we begin to pray. You see, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. Prayer is grasping the promise that God has put in your spirit. Whether it was a promise for a Teen Challenge Center 38 years ago, or whatever it was, you begin to pray. You get before God. You see, before your vision comes, you have to get before God, let Him put the vision in your heart, and then let Him put the strategy and the plan of how He wants to bring it to pass, and then you begin to implement it in your heart. You can't do anything before you pray, but once you pray and hear from God, you can do everything that God intended you to do, because greater is He that is in us than is in the world. There is somebody out there that believes that God bless you three and the rest of you. Come on, we're on a journey this morning. God said, or the word of the Lord into my heart was that He will build something, but He will accomplish it with prayer. When we arrived in Ireland, we, we, we arrived in a nation that was 95% Roman Catholic, and over 90% plus of the people were in Mass on Saturday night or Sunday morning on what was called the Mother Church. Only one other country at the time was more, uh, were more com committed to the Roman Catholic faith, and that was Poland. And so we begin to work with these people. And there had been something. You see, if God calls you, He goes before you. How many know that? If God calls you, He's already at work. If He ain't at work, you better not show up because nothing's going to happen. But God was already at work in something that was called Catholic Charismatic Renewal. And there were people's hearts who were hungry. You see, God is not that concerned about the label on the bottle, but He is concerned about the contents. And when God finds... Hearts that are hungry, God will do something in their life. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the denomination, the grouping, or whatever it may be. If their hearts are hungry, God sees a hungry heart. If you don't believe it, just hear what is happening in the Muslim world today. As people are crying out to God, they're receiving visions of Jesus. They're receiving... God, they're receiving an anointing from the Lord. They're receiving marvelous healing and so on. Many of them will pay with their lives for following the Lord. But you see, when our hearts are hungry, God begins to do something. And He began to do something remarkable among Roman Catholic people whose hearts were hungry for the Lord. I don't know if you watch the eulogizing of, uh, of the Senator uh, Teddy Kennedy, but I watched that three hours when everybody, including McCain and Orrin Hatch, and Carolyn uh, Kennedy, Jack Kennedy's daughter, spoke. And, and I know people have a problem with, with, with Teddy Kennedy and so on, but I want to tell you, I loved watching it. I laughed through it and I cried through it because it was nothing but an Irish wake without the drink. They may have had the drink afterwards, but I enjoyed watching as they were sharing the stories of what had happened in the life of this individual. But I tell you, as we arrived there, God was already at work. And people's hearts were open to what the Lord was doing. And so, uh, uh, but you know, people were critical of that. 
because it wasn't like they shaped it or like they planned it or they expected it to be and they had prayed for revival, but it didn't come the way they thought it should. It came the only way it could. In a country that was 95% Roman Catholic, it come among Roman Catholic people whose hearts were open to the Lord. And God opened these marvelous doors, and we would go in. They didn't want me to preach. They didn't want me to teach. They didn't want me to talk about why I had come there. They wanted me to share my story. They wanted me to share my history. And so I began to share of how I'd come to the Lord. And I remember the second service that I was in, a young lady came up to me after the meeting. She said, son, when you're, she said, sir, when you begin to share your story, she said, the Lord gave me a vision. And in the vision, she said, I saw you in this building. I had never seen this building before. It was a, quite a large building. It had a balcony around the, the inside of the building, and it was full of hundreds of Irish people that were on their feet worshiping and magnifying God. said, I was so excited when I saw this, and I saw you at the front, and you were leading the people. And I was excited by that, but I said, Oh, Lord, I have never seen this building. Where could this building be? And she said, The Spirit took me outside, and I saw a simple street sign that said Pierce Street. P-E-A-R-S-E. Now, I lived the other side of Dunleary, south of Dublin at the time, where we had uh, started a, a Christian, we had rented a large uh, home and uh, a large old house, and, and we lived upstairs and turned the bottom into a ministry center, and there's where we began to evolve our first Bible study, our first ministry place, and we also began to do discipleship and youth, and eventually evolved a congregation out of that building. I didn't know where Pierce Street was. I knew a lot of people uh, that I was around then had visions. Some of them it was with the pizza they had the night before or the Guinness they had drunk. I wasn't quite sure. But I always just simply took these things and pondered them as Mary of old pondered things that were told her about her firstborn son, Jesus. And I just left them there because, you see, if God gives it, it will happen. It may be 38 years. It may be 13 years that somebody in this place has been waiting on a vision to come to pass. But if you're faithful and God has put the vision there, I tell you, as sure as He gave us a place in Devil's Glen, He will give you the dream that He has put into your heart. Amen? So she shared this story with me. I went on with what we were doing. And we started one church. And then in 1986, we started in our home with a group of about 12 people. And watch that begin to evolve. That makes you wish I would quit walking back and forth, don't you? Some people say, I'm watching me preach is like going to Wimbledon and watching a tennis match. I was in a church recently uh, of a couple of thousand people or so, and they had a, uh, they had a camera right there. And the guy nearly got drunk, uh, nearly passed out trying to keep up with me, following me back and forth. Anyway, that was his problem, not mine. But we prayed for him. And, and uh, sorry, you know, it's kind of fire up in your bones, amen? And, and uh, you know, a lot of people jog. I don't jog. I just walk when I preach, and then I don't have to worry about it. But regardless, uh, uh, we started with about 12 people, and, and, and we watched this begin to evolve, and we moved into a friend of mine called me and said, will you start a meeting in our home? And, and uh, so we moved the meeting there, and that grew, and, and, and then we evolved into a Sunday morning meeting. And soon we had 60 to 75 
uh, 50 to 75 people coming along. Soon we were at 100. We outgrew the place I had rented. And so uh, I, I contacted a real estate agent, an auctioneer we called them, and I said, I would like to, uh, I have found this old warehouse, and I'd like to uh, look at purchasing it for our congregation. He said, oh, Reverend Davidson said, uh, I know you, I know about you. And, and he said, uh, you don't need that. I've got the building you need. And, and uh, I said, well, can you tell me? He said, no, it's under private treaty, as they've called it. And he said, uh, but I will send you the particulars. So he sent me the particulars. This big envelope arrived. I opened up the envelope, and I looked at it, and here was a picture of a church, an old Protestant church that had been closed for nearly 15 years called St. Mark's Church in the very heart of Dublin. And I looked at this, and, I, and my wife was there, and Lee, one of our young ministers, and I looked at it and I said, I don't want that church. That's a Protestant church. Now you have to understand the people I was working with. They had been taught from the time they were children that the devil lived in the Protestant church. Now I'd been in one or two. I thought he was there myself. But regardless, uh, uh, I, 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 I looked at this and, and, and I said, I'm not interested. Well, my wife Wilma looks at it and she said, I think we should look at it. And, and, and being like rest of you men, a man under submission, I said, well, I'm not sure. And, and my friend said, uh, Gary, I think we should look at it. I was Roman Catholic background, he said. And he said, I wouldn't have a problem if the Lord is in it. I got our elders together and we looked at it. And all of them felt exactly as I felt. They were very unsure. So I said, we need to fast and pray. Because nothing happens unless you pray. Nothing happens unless you pray. So we called for a day of fasting. I said on Thursday, I said to our congregation, on Thursday, let's go look at this building. Uh, and I announced where it's at. I said, this church, and I was reading it off, and the penny still hadn't dropped, as we say in Ireland. And I was reading it off. I said, it's on Mark's Lane and, and Pierce Street. And when I did, a lady stood up in the meeting and began to weep. She said, Gary, this is the vision that God gave six years ago. I said, and then it clicked and it came back. And when I walked in the building and I looked at it, there was the balcony just like the vision had been given six years ago. The people weren't there, but I tell you, as of today, they will have three services. There will be 600 people or so gathered in that building. There's only room for about 200 fat Americans, but you can put 600 Irish people that are hungry for God in the place, and it will be literally packed. Come on, give the Lord a praise. Hallelujah. And I found out, you see, we walk where other people have prayed. We reap. That's the reason you want to sow good seed. Because if you sow good seed, you don't have to live to see it. You don't have to live to see your dreams come true. You can be David who prepares the next generation. I want the, my, the generation that follows me and I hang out with all these 20 and 30 year olds that have a passion and they're more gifted than I am. And I'm a father to them. And, and, and I run with them. Now when they sit down, I sit down with them and it takes me longer to get back up again because I'm 64 years old. But I try to run with them because I want to run with the big dogs and see what's going to happen, what the game is at the end of this. And, and I challenge, I say to my young men, I want it to be of such that when I, the Lord takes me home that you won't say, oh my, but you'll say yes. 
when you think about me. Because you'll know, I laid a good foundation and I pushed the limits and I kept stretching my faith and so on. And so here we are. We're looking at this building. We don't have the money for the building. I call them in and I make an offer that is ludicrous. He turns it down. I call him three times and, and, and make an offer. The third time, I called a friend of mine. You see, Ireland is just like Davidson. This is Davidson County, isn't it? I appreciate Is it? Well, I wouldn't have come if I wouldn't have known. I thought we were in Davidson. I was really appreciative that you had named the county after me. But anyway, uh, I was, uh, I have a, what was I saying? Were you listening? Thank you, Beth. She was listening. Would you wake Aaron up and tell him? I had this friend that I'd been meeting in a pub. He would have his, I mean, that's where everything happens, so. What's wrong with us? We need to find the people. This building's not about you. This building's about them that are outside there. And so I used to meet him at a pub. He'd have his pint of Guinness, and I would have my pint of orange. thought you had something on me, didn't you? And, and, and this guy, his, his language would feel the pain on the walls here. And, and, uh, but I had a heart for this man. He reminded me of what I came from. He reminded me of the pit from which I was digged, as David said. And I would share with him. He was a man of influence. His wife was a committed Christian. And, and I never really saw a breakthrough, but I knew, I knew he, he cared for me. And we just, I just cared. I loved this guy, and he loved me. And I called him up, and I said, Amen, I, there's a building. And I told him, called St. Mark's Church, I need that building. He said, let me make a call. Fifteen minutes later, the phone goes. And the auctioneer said, uh, Reverend Davidson, that building is yours. I've accepted the offer. You must know someone up there. I said, I do. I know the man that owns everything. Hallelujah. But I didn't have the money, but God did. And the money came through, and, and God's blessed that place. And today, six, uh, either six or seven daughter or seven granddaughter or daughter churches have been birthed out of that. There's a, there's a crib. John Wesley preached the gospel there. Imagine. I get to stand there. I've handed it on to one of my young men I mentored about six years ago. But when I preach there, I think, isn't it marvelous that John Wesley talks in his journal about coming to the harbor of Dublin and hearing the bell of St. Mark's and preaching there on a Sunday morning to a gay and senseless lot. They're still senseless. We ignore the gay, but they're still senseless. But anyway, the, the, and just to think, the legacy of that building and what God has given us, it was laid, the foundation was laid in 1746. A remarkable place. And this is what I found out. My friend Amon said there were two old evangelical ladies that were left, dear saints of the Lord, when that building was desanctified and closed as a Protestant church because everybody moved out into the suburbs. And these ladies began to meet once a month for 16 years to pray that one day God would turn St. Mark's into a place of evangelism and worship once again as it had been in the 17 and the 1800s. And I tell you, the first few years we were in that building, we baptized 700 people. We have saw numerous young men and women go out of that church and raise up churches. There's a crypt underneath the church with over 300 people buried. That's what we do to deacons that don't act right. But anyway, God, God blessed us in that place because somebody prayed. And you see, if God puts a vision in your heart, friend, 
God puts a dream in your heart. You pray until that dream comes to pass. And then you remember the difference between greatness and mediocrity is vision. Where there is no vision, the Bible says in Proverbs, the people perish. The word vision means mental sight or revelation. It, the word perish means unrestrained or loosened. And in the Hebrew, it paints a picture of a, of a great vessel that is in a safe port, but somebody has broken the hawsers or, or turned loose the anchor. And contrary winds begin to come into the harbor, and somehow it just begins to drift aimlessly. It drifts outside the harbor entrance in the safe place. It's caught by a contrary gale, and it is driven onto the rocks, and it's destroyed, and every life on it is lost simply because there was no vision. A visionless life is an aimless life. An aimless life is a reckless life. And a reckless life is a wasted life. Everyone ends up somewhere in life, but people, few people end up somewhere on purpose. Jonathan Swift, who was the vicar in old St. Patrick's Cathedral there in the heart of Dublin, and the author of Gulliver Travels, wrote, Vision is the art of seeing the invisible. And something in our heart begin to see the invisible. I remember saying to someone, they, they didn't understand why I was there. They said, there are churches all over. Yes, there are churches, but we need people that are of the community of faith within those churches. It's not just about the building, it's about the people. And you see, the building is not the church, you're the church. And it's about you and I connecting with those, engaging with those outside the church culture that need to be immersed into what God is doing. Andy Stanley said, Visions are born in the soul of a man or a woman gripped by a tension between what is and what should be. And God put it in our heart that we should raise up churches across the nation, that we should believe the Lord for churches. I remember we had a brother named Noel McFarland, a great man of prayer, an elder's elder. He was one of my uh, elders that helped establish the church there. And that Noel is now with the Lord. But Noel used to go down to a little Methodist church in a place called Dolphin's Barn. It had been closed because people had left the area and the church had been abandoned. But he used to go and pray in this church. And uh, one day he was praying and, and he heard a commotion overhead. And they looked overhead, and there was a group of about seven or eight young boys that were strung out on drugs, 14 and 15 years old, and they were stealing the lead off the roof. They would cut it at the peak, and they would cut it on both sides, and the very weight of it, it would roll right off and drop off the bottom, and they would rush down there. They would get a wagon or a trailer, or whatever, four or five guys, and they would carry it, and they would sell it by the pound for nearly nothing just to get another hit. And this is the way their life was living. And as they looked up, and he and one other guy were praying, and they looked up and lights suddenly came through where the boys had stolen. And somebody said, we need to uh, contact the authorities. He said, I'm going to contact God. And I'm going to ask God to move on the heart of those young men. Among those young men was a young guy called Noel Kinney. And Noel Kinney was strung out on drugs. He was with a group of ten young boys, and they used to do drugs together. And, and, and Noel was reached 
by the gospel, because of the prayers of a faithful brother, he was reached with the gospel. He came to a crusade we were doing. He and his wife Sharon, they weren't married, they had a child. They were gloriously saved. And God began to do a remarkable work in his life. And I remember him standing in our church after they came to the Lord and he came to me one day and he said, he was embarrassed, he said, we're not married. And he said, we know we need to be married and we want to follow the Lord. And I said, well, let's get you married. So they moved separate. And they lived separate for nine months. We didn't get the money together, went through counseling, and today they're happily married. The Lord has blessed that union with three other girls. He was of a group of ten young men. Three of the young men have died. Six have AIDS. He's the only one. He went back to that area from our church at St. Mark's. He's raised up a church called Liberty Church that this morning had 300 people, the majority of them unchurched before he went there, that have come to the Lord and are following the Lord because somebody prayed and somebody got a vision of raising up a church. Give the Lord a hand. And friend, when God puts a vision in your heart, a dream in your heart, you don't quit on the dream. And you don't quit in the face of adversity. Sixteen years ago, our oldest, we have an adopted daughter in Ireland, a young girl that came out of one of those horrific institutions that we took into our home. I had her in our girl's center. She broke every rule, and, and then she made up rules and broke them. I, I, uh, they called me in the center one day, and they said, that we don't know what to do with Mary Murphy. I went to pick her up, and uh, I knew she didn't have any family. She had had polio, didn't know anything about her family, and I didn't know all of her story. I got her in the car, I said, and I took her home. And, and, and I went in, and, uh, you know, uh, guys, when it doesn't work, either read directions or ask your wife. So I, I went in, and I said, uh, I said to Wilma, I said, I've got Mary Murphy in the car outside. I can't put her back on the street. What should we do? She said, bring her in. So I brought her in. And uh, she just suddenly became a part of our family. God just began to do marvelous things in her life. She finished school. She got a counseling degree. One day she called me and she said, Dad, I want you to meet somebody. She brought a guy in named Peter who was in a wheelchair and also had polio. They met at the, uh, uh, they met at the Disabled Club, Wheelchair Association, and, and they brought him in. And I said, Peter, tell me about my family. He said, I don't have any family. I don't know anything about my family. And, and I said, well, you're interested in my daughter, aren't you? He said, I am very interested in your daughter. And, and, and I said, well, you know, we, we, we all serve the Lord in the family. He said, okay. He came to a meeting, gave his life to the Lord. I married them. I gave her away and then married her to my son and first son-in-law, who also became a son because he didn't have any family. They have a beautiful daughter today. In fact, Mary and our, and our girl, oldest granddaughter are in South Africa doing a mission today. You see, that was always her destiny. God always had a great plan for Mary. And, and the enemy tried to intervene and tried to destroy that plan. But because the individual stepped up to the plate took her in. She began to follow her destiny. And today she's one of the finest counselors we have in our ministry in Ireland. And she's just part of her family. We have family reunion. Everybody comes. My son-in-law and my son. He's bold to us. And, and, and the Lord has blessed us. And so this... I, I had a... 16 years ago then my daughter in... oldest daughter, biological daughter, Christy, was expecting her first child. And she contacted, uh, just before the baby was born, my wife called me. 
Ohio and said, something's wrong with Christy. She can't stay on her feet. We don't know what's wrong. And I said, well, no, no problem. Let's just keep praying. And when the baby's born, the baby was born. Marvelous uh, little boy, handsome young man, just like his grandfather. And, and uh, uh, we were all excited. Our first grandson, our second grandchild. And then a day later, I received a call. And my daughter is very seriously ill. They're rushing her into emergency. And she contacted a disease called Guillain-Barre syndrome. I'd never heard of it before. I know all about it now. Packs the neurological system. You don't get help within 24 hours. You just suffocate because all the muscular uh, tone shuts down. Uh, and, uh, uh, and then we started on this litany of difficulty that really still goes on. Within a year, she was, uh, within a few months, we brought her to Ireland. And, and our National Health Service there saved her life and certainly saved her eyes, if not just her life as well. And uh, then in the middle of it, her husband leaves her and uh, leaves her with all of these bills. And I can remember one night at 3 in the morning, I was sitting with her in our home, and I looked across and I thought, is my daughter going to die? And, 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 uh, and the next morning, I went to conduct a staff meeting, I had all, and my staff was there waiting on me. I knew I had to go up and motivate him, and I sat in the shadow of old St. Mark's, of the miracle of St. Mark's. And I remember as I sat there, the enemy came. He's a dirty dog. You know that? He only shows up when he can get his foot in your neck and push you down. And the enemy showed up. And I was sitting there, and I was so, uh, I, I was so discouraged and disappointed and, and, and fearful. And at that moment, the enemy came. Now, some people talk about the devil coming all the time and so on, but it doesn't seem to happen to me that much. But certainly three times in my life, I've known the foul breath Lucifer. Night of Oklahoma and Fresno, California, and outside St. Mark's that day. And the enemy showed up, and he said to me, if you will back off, I will back off. Now, first of all, you know how, a crook, how you know when a crooked politician in the devil's line, don't you? Their lips are moving. And the devil's lying. But you know, for a little bit, quitting looks good. Quitting sometimes looks good. Amen? I'll say it. For 40-something years serving the Lord, I'll say it. There's been a few times quitting looked good, but I just don't quit. Because you don't quit in the face of adversity. And when that happened to me, I was so overwhelmed. When the enemy said, if you will back off, I will back off, I thought... Maybe that's the way forward. And when I did, the Bible says, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. Thank God for the fullness of the joy of the Holy Spirit that bursts us into the kingdom and the fullness that we can receive from him. And at that moment, I found myself confessing this. It must have come from God because it didn't come from me. I cried out, Satan, we have taken territory that you have had for a thousand years, and by the grace of God, we will take much more. I didn't know we had taken territory he had had, but by the grace of God, the Spirit of God was living within me, knew that, and as soon as I said that, the enemy left and the Spirit of God came. Give the Lord a hand. Because you don't quit in the face of adversity. You don't quit on your dreams. God's put a dream in your heart. God's put a dream in your heart. And you've wondered if it was even ever going to happen. 
Let me see your hand. Come on, let's be let's be vulnerable and honest this morning. We're just a community of, of, of church. We're human. We miss it a lot. More than we get it right, we miss it. But God's put a dream in your heart. And adversity has come your way. Listen, we don't look to recession. We look to the God that is over the recession. And Lord, I ask you right now, specifically, Lord, there's someone here that God, you put something in their heart 13 years ago. A dream within their heart, and it seems farther away than it ever has. And this morning, you're wanting to encourage them not to quit in the face of adversity. You're wanting to say to them that you're the God that placed the dream within them, and you, God, will bring it to pass in Jesus' name. Don't quit in the face of adversity. Believe God. Trust God. Have faith in God. Let the vision come from Him. And then don't quit in the face of adversity. Jesus, come in this place. Touch us right now in a fresh way. Minister to us in a fresh way. God has spoke to your heart. God has spoke to your heart here this morning. I want you to bow your head just a moment before we give the meeting back to Pastor. But God has spoke to your heart this morning about the dream. You'd put your hand up. Thanks, Pam. You would put your hand up and say, pray for me. God bless you. God bless you. Yes. God bless you. You're my lamb. Yes. Oh, come on, church. Just don't quit on it. You're in the middle. Raise your hand. Bless you, dear. You're in the middle. Raise your hands. Come on. Come on. That's right. Bless you, sir. God bless you. Put my heart growing to you, son. In the meeting here as I shook your hand a few minutes ago. Lord, I just ask you right now for a new spirit of resilience. And Lord, I ask you and I ask you in Jesus' name that you remove that sense of disappointment. And he looks to you in a fresh way. Over here to my right. Slip your hand up. Yes, God bless you, sir. God bless you. God bless you. I seldom ever pray for something like this, but I believe in it. But uh, I just really believe that some people need some financial provision. And you've got to be obedient to what God says. I never have trouble praying for finances because from the time I came to the Lord, I've sought to give. Him since only the beginning. I don't know how God does it. Last week, I don't know how He did it, but He did it. And I just had such a need. And I remember being in this church and just had such a need. I remember the pastor saying, I'm praying for 3,000 before the many meetings were over, well over 5,000. God just met the need. But I want to pray for you. I want to, because especially your new church. I love this guy, Aaron. I'm so connected with Aaron and then met Beth today. And I like Aaron, but I think I can love Beth even more. <laughs> Jesus, just put your hand up, friend. You just need God to come through. Come on, we're family. You just need God, just a special financial provision. Just put your hand up right now. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, we agree right now that there's no recession in the kingdom. We need to be wise. But we're believing you and trusting you that, Lord, by your grace, by your grace, we're asking the next 30 days for financial provision. We don't know where it'll come from, how it'll come, but we just believe you for it, and we just receive it right now in Jesus' name. We don't worry, we don't fret, because our God owns the cattle on a thousand hills and every Irish potato under it. In Jesus' name. 
Amen. Give the Lord a hand, would you? Pastor's coming and to uh, and it's uh, going to ask you to give. And your giving will go towards a young man called Norman McCorkle. Norman is a uh, Northern Irishman who was uh, Mr. Northern Ireland, muscled up guy, not unlike myself. And uh, he just, uh, he's going to Bible school, and I committed 4000 to help him with Bible school. Your gift's going to go towards Norman. I don't know during the offering we could play that DVD, Pastor, because I know time has slipped away. But thank you for your giving. Privileged to be with you. And we're going to partner. What? Tell us about the video. Okay. The video is called Street Pastors. And uh, it's the story of Derry is the most sectarian city in uh, one of the most sectarian cities in the world. Bloody Sunday happened there. And we planted a church there 13 years ago. And today that church runs nearly 300. And it just... This has been a Church at Indian Lake podcast. Be sure to check out IndianLakeChurch.com for all updated news and information.